Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Tonight's reading is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 11. Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Lockie, and thanks, um, Sarah, for, um, Emily, sorry, for introducing us to the idea of Vision Sunday and uh, what that means for us and reminding us of our vision statement as well, which you can also see in pictures up on the wall, right? Symbolises our mission statement, uh, that we want to be a place, a community of, life, of lifelong disciples. That's our potential, reaching our potential. And the last one is about our purpose, engaging the world with grace and truth. And that's that last one that we're going to think about tonight as we think about our vision for 2024. And as I was thinking about this, I came across a graph that was quite overwhelming. And in one sense, it's not overwhelming at all. A dark blue on the graph represents those who ticked, uh, identified themselves as Christians on the census. And you can see the decline over many years. And in one sense, that's nothing new. We know that. But what was overwhelming for me is that I realised that the decline started about the same time I was born. Yeah, I'm not taking responsibility for it. <laughs> but it does actually impact. It started, I started to understand how that has impacted my psyche. That for all of my life, I've lived in a country where Christianity has been in decline. And so it's very easy then for me to buy into some of the narratives of the world around me about Christianity and what it is or isn't. For those who are a bit older, 
Uh, they can remember the glory days when you can even see a, a pickup in those who identified as Christians and that had to do, I think, with the Billy Graham Crusades of the 50s and 60s. But Christianity in Australia has been in decline for a long time. And that can lead us to despair. I mean, those of you who are younger than me are in the same boat that you've only ever known a country where Christianity is declining. And you have seen, or the culture that you've grown up in is more and more that than the one I grew up in. And, and we can despair at that and be distraught and go, well, what, what do we do in this world? But we don't have to despair. And we've got good reason not to. And we're going to think about some of those in a little while. But one guy who realised not to despair was a guy by the name of C.K. Chesterton. He lived about 100 years ago. And reflecting on faith and culture, he said this, at least five times the Christian faith has to all appearances, uh, has to all appearances gone to the dogs. But in each of those five cases, it was the dog that died. See what he's saying? It looks like Christianity is about to die, but actually it's the dog that's trying to eat it that ends up dead. As we approach 2024 and set our vision for that, we want to have confidence yet again that the gospel will triumph over the cultural dogs. Our vision for 2024 is to be bold in mission. Now, when I say the word bold, some of you go, oh man, I've seen this before and this just ends up with crazy, insensitive people doing all sorts of stuff that's actually really unhelpful. That's not our vision. We want to be bold in Christ. And today I'm not going to give you all the detail of that. We'll come back to that at the start of next year. But I want to give you some of the more higher level, the why. Why do we want to do this? Why do we believe that this is worth pursuing? And 2 Corinthians 5, which was just read to us by Lockie, gives us at least three great motivations, but three that I want to touch on tonight for being, being bold. And you can see them up there on the screen. The first is we want to be bold because, as verse 14 says, Christ's love compels us. Second, in verse 16, we want to be bold because we want to regard no one from a worldly point of view. And third, we want to be bold as Christ's ambassadors. And we're going to think about each of those just briefly tonight. So let's start with the first of those, that Christ's love compels us. Over the past few weeks, we've been working through the book of Philippians and we finished that last week. And as we went through the book of Philippians, one of the things that I found myself being encouraged by is that week in, week out, we had this picture of Jesus and how great he is and how much he loves his people. Let me remind you of some of the things that uh, the book of Philippians reminded us or taught us. Paul was compelled by the love of the one who had taken hold of him. Paul was compelled by the love of the one who humbly gave his all, becoming a servant and dying on a cross. Paul was compelled by the love of the one at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Paul was compelled, as he wrote the book of Philippians, by the love of the one who will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. And then last week we were reminded that he's compelled by the love of the one who supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory 
compelled by love? Are we compelled by Jesus' love for us? And so, Matt, I know that you are. In many ways, we are compelled by Jesus' love for us. And just one example of that came actually just last week because compelled by Jesus' love across the congregations of St Matt's, last week on our Thanksgiving Day, you gave somewhere between $150,000 and $180,000 for gospel ministry. Isn't that exciting? That just blows my mind. And that only happens because people are compelled by the love of Jesus. It's the only way a group of people give $180,000 to something. Now, if you're wondering why it's between 150 and 180, let me just resolve that for you. It's because 150, a bit over 150 is in our bank account. It's been given, and but about 180 has been pledged. So there's a gap there. That's why it's somewhere between there. What that means for us is that every project that we put forward achieved its target and some of them were way over the target. And what that means for ministry here and uh, down at Rough Edges in Darlinghurst and in Bangladesh is just phenomenal. So encouraging that Christ's love has compelled us to do that. It's also been a great help to our operating budget as we plan for next year because some of you gave generously toward that as well. So thank you so much for being compelled by Jesus' love. That is who St Matt is and it's who I want us to keep being. And tonight I just want to pause and ask us, does the compelling of this love carry over into local mission? Are we compelled by Jesus' love when it comes to thinking about our neighbours, our family, our friends who don't know Jesus? And are we compelled by his love to share with them. Some have, came up with the, uh, some have come up with the analogy of ships to think about churches. And so you could think about church as a cruise ship where we all just like jump on board and have a good time. Everything's supplied for us and it's just cruisy, so to speak. And uh, that's one way of thinking about church. Other people have said, no, no, church should be more like a battleship where we're engaged in a battle and we all, it's all hands on deck ready for action. And as I've been thinking about this, I think that over the past few years, St Matt's hasn't really been either of those ships and has actually been more of a boat and it's been more of a lifeboat. And that might sound a little bit funny, but I think there's been really good reasons for St Matt's to be a bit of a lifeboat. See, because when the ship's damaged, you need to repurpose the ship. And while the ship's damaged, you need to make sure that everyone who's on the ship is safe in a lifeboat and able to be healthy before the ship gets repurposed. And I think that's where we've been at over the past uh, few years. And whether or not you know why we were on those lifeboats, it seems to me that the tide has changed. I have a sense in myself that the St Matt's ship is healthy again. And I hear from you in all sorts of ways, not only this congregation, other congregations, that the St Matt's ship is pretty healthy again. And so one of the things I want to say to us today is if we're still in the lifeboat mentality, it's time to get off. It's time to get off the lifeboat. But don't get off and don't get back onto a cruise ship, as nice as that might sound. And I don't even want you to get on a battleship. What I think 
is the best analogy of what we need to get on is an aircraft carrier. Because aircraft carriers are the coolest of all ships, right? (laughs) But for other reasons as well. See, an aircraft carrier doesn't engage on the front line of battle. It stays back. And what it does is it resources those things that are going to be needed on the front line. And that's the job of the church, to equip the members, all of us, to be engaged on the front line of mission. We want to equip you to be compelled by the love of Christ, to be missioning in all the places that God God puts you. See, here's the thing with an aircraft carrier. If the planes stay on the aircraft carrier, they're not fulfilling their purpose, are they? And the same is true of us. If we stay on the aircraft carrier of St. Matt's, that might be nice. We might avoid harm, but we're not fulfilling our purpose. And next year is all about boldly fulfilling our purpose. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5 uh, tells us that one died for all and therefore all died. And I know, St. Matt's, that you are convinced and convicted that Jesus died for you, that he is the reason that your life's changed. But I wonder if we're convicted and convinced that one died for all, that the answer to the problems in the world, to, to the lives around us, is Jesus and his transforming power that's available for them. Will we be bold in Christ, knowing that the transformation that Jesus has brought in your life, he can bring in another person's life as well? Let me ask that question a different way. The way that Paul, I think, is asking it in 2 Corinthians 5, or at least leading us in 2 Corinthians 5. Do we regard people from a worldly point of view, or do we regard others from a Christ point of view. Paul says in verse 16 that he regards no one from a worldly point of view. No one. Regarding people from a worldly point of view might mean uh, valuing them according to worldly standards. And I wonder if our danger is holding a worldly perspective about others. And what I mean by that is uh, that we can take hold of the narratives of the world and apply them to people and to ourselves. So, for example, to go back to that graph I showed you at the start, Christianity is in decline. The narrative of the world is it's in decline because actually it's irrelevant. And sometimes even more than irrelevant, it's harmful and detrimental to people. So, of course, it's going to be in decline. If we look at the world through worldly eyes, we start to take on that narrative. But the other thing that the world tells us about how people live in the world, is that we're the ones with the problems, Christians are the ones with the problem, and everyone else who's walking around without Christ, they're doing just fine. And so you guys, don't mess with these guys, because you guys have got the problem, and they're doing just fine. And if we start buying into that narrative, if we start listening to that narrative, then that's going to have a huge impact on us fulfilling our purpose in Christ. It's true that we live in a post-Christian world. But we must resist either 
inadvertently or consciously buying into the narrative about Christianity from this world. And I've got two reasons that we, there's plenty more, but I just want to touch on two, two reasons why we need to resist this. And the first is this. Jesus said that the gates of Hades will never overcome his church. See, there's a reason that G.K. Chesterton realised that every time the church looks like it's going to the dogs, it's the dogs that die. And the reason is this. Jesus is powerfully protecting and strengthening his church for its purpose in the world. At every other point in history where the church looks like it's dead, somehow it's come back from the dead. Are you surprised that that's the story of the church? That's the story of our Saviour who came back from the dead? And are we surprised when we start to think about the world that we live in now that just as in the past, so we can be confident in the future because Jesus has told us that the gates of Hades will not overcome his church, that we can have hope as we mission, that actually the gospel and the power of the gospel will triumph over the powers at work against the gospel. But the second reason, oh sorry, before I go on, we can be led into the trap that culture tells us uh, that they don't really care too much about Christianity. We can hear that narrative. People don't really care much for Christianity, but this thing we need to remember is true. Whether or not people care about Christianity, Jesus cares about people. And we must not lose sight of that. The people walking around without Jesus, they may not think they care about Christianity, but Jesus cares about them. And we are his representatives to care for them also. Now, in addition to this idea that Jesus has said that the gates of Hades will not prevail, in addition to that, there is growing evidence that a new generation has realised that the, the culture of the world in which we live, let's call it secular humanism, along with its radical individualism, that sense that I am the centre of everything, there's a new group of people that are starting to realise that the promises of those things are failing to deliver. And for some of us, that's not all that surprising. See, what's happened is people in our culture have tried to have all the benefits of Christianity without Jesus. Another way of saying that is they've tried to have the kingdom without the king. But do you know what you get if you take the king out of kingdom? What are you left with? Dumb. It's just dumb. And people are starting to realise that. They want more out of life. They want more than what's being offered to them. McCrindle Research is one of Australia's top uh, social researchers and they've discovered recently that Australians have lost trust in institutions. Now, that part shouldn't surprise us very much. Just think about Qantas as a prime example. We know that Australians are losing trust in institutions. But McCrindle also discovered this. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Australians, however, have displayed a resurgence of trust in religious institutions, with 21% expressing faith in local churches and 19% in broader church community over the last three years. 
resurgence of trust in relational in religious institutions reflects a renewed quest for meaning, values and community. Did you hear that? Australians are looking for meaning, values and community. Let's think about that. Where could we find meaning, values and community? Christians, step up to the plate. It's our turn. Meaning, value, community. This is what God has designed for his church. And there are people in our culture who are now looking for exactly those things. Now, to be sure, 21% and 19%, they're not numbers to get all that excited about, really. I mean, if that was your mark on your exam, you might not be boasting about it, right? They're not numbers to get excited about, but what is exciting? It's a low base to start, but what's exciting is that the pendulum's swinging, that there's a resurgence, that we're heading in an upward direction. Scary where we got to, but we're heading in an upward direction that more and more people are trusting religious institutions. And this goes even a step further when it comes to thinking about Gen Y and Gen Z. Many of you fit this category. It's those born between 1977 and 2012. And what McCrindle's found about this group of people is that 40% of them are extremely likely or very likely to attend a church service if they're personally invited. 40%. Two out of five. Gen ZY or Gen Z. Alpha Australia has done similar research and they've concluded that one in four Australians, all Australians, not just Gen Y and Z, would come to church if invited. One in four. What does this tell us about the harvest field around us? People are aching. People are wanting more to life than what's being offered to them by the secular society in which we live. From Christ's point of view, if we view people with Christ's point of view, what we see is people walking around in a kingdom of darkness. But we also see that Jesus died for them, that he longs for them to no longer live for themselves. How apt is that description for today's world? He longs them to no longer live for themselves, but for him. Because that is what's best for them. And more than that, for many of them, they are far more open to Christianity than what we may think. We have great cause for hope. Great cause to be bold in mission. Because as we regard no one from a worldly point of view, we remember that Jesus said that his church will prevail, that his gospel will overcome. And we remember that the narratives of this world are showing themselves to be empty and people want meaning, values and community. Well, I trust that all this increases your boldness, your boldness as Christ's ambassadors. Because Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 to talk about how God is making his appeal through us. As if God... We're making his appeal through us. How do you feel about that? 
God's making his appeal through you. I mean, you might feel like, oh, that's a huge responsibility. And it is a big responsibility. But you might also feel like, God, do you know me? Like, really? You, you want to make your appeal through me? Surely there's a better person. I mean, there's heaps of stories in the Bible of people responding in that sort of way. But you might always also feel at times like, oh, wow, what an incredible privilege, God, that you give to me. You don't need me to make your appeal to the world. You don't need to involve me. But you invite me to be your ambassador, making an appeal on Christ's behalf to an aching world around me. As if God were making his appeal through us. St. Matt, this is our calling. This is our purpose. We express it as engaging our world with grace and truth. It's deed and word. It's relationship and rhetoric. It's imploring people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Paul makes it clear in verse 20, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe that that is true? I want you to call to your mind one of your friends or neighbours or family who doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself now, picturing them, do I believe that that is true for that person? That God in Jesus became sin for that person so that that person in Jesus might become the righteousness of God. See, here's the problem. Culture has changed, but God hasn't changed. And sometimes we change with culture rather than sticking with who God is and what he says. The gospel hasn't lost its power, even though our culture wants to tell us that we're irrelevant. The one who became sin for you still longs to become sin for others so that they might become and receive God's righteousness. Jesus has done all that is needed for that friend that you have in your mind or family member. He has the power to transform their life. He has the power to take them from darkness to light. Jesus has the capacity to turn secular humanists, atheists even, into lifelong disciples of Jesus. He has that power and he invites us simply to be his ambassadors that God might make his appeal through us. Yet for all of this, only 2% of Australian churches have a vision for growth. I find that so scary and so sad. 2% of Australian churches have a vision for growth. The problem could be leadership or the problem could be our hearts. Make no mistake, St Matt's leadership has a vision for growth. 
We want to see people around us become lifelong disciples of Jesus. Not so we can grow a big church because that actually is the best life that they can have. To know Jesus, to know his love for them, to know his power at work in their life, to know the peace that comes in knowing Jesus. And this is what we have to wrestle with, St. Matt's. If we want that, if we want people to become lifelong disciples of Jesus, it's going to get uncomfortable for us. Because all sorts of new people we trust are going to walk in the doors. Because we're active on mission and God's active in his power and we're seeing lives transformed. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to make things uncomfortable for us. It might mean that we have to get out of our seat more and stop talking to our friend and start talking to someone who's new, which you guys do great. It just might mean we have to do it more. Are we prepared to make that sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, catching up with our friends at some other time? Are we prepared to be uncomfortable so that others might know the glory of Jesus and worship him with us? The church ministry team has been working hard to equip you to be bold, to equip us all to be bold and we're planning some other initiatives which Bree will speak to shortly. But as a staff team, we're also wanting to work on our own hearts and so together we've been reading a little book that is incredibly challenging and hopefully fanning the fires of our own hearts. You might want to grab the book. It's only a little short book and you might want to read it along with us. But let me just give you one of the challenges that we find in its very introduction. The author says this, unless we honestly find God to be beautiful and enjoyable, we'll have nothing worth saying to the people around us. See, it may be a leadership thing that Australian churches aren't good at mission but it also might be a hard thing. And that's what the author of this book is saying. Unless in our hearts we find God to be beautiful and enjoyable, they've got nothing to say to people. And so as we go from this week into our Christmas season next week and then into January where we're all off on all sorts of different missions and holidays and whatever, I want to give us some homework. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, I want to give us some heart work. I want us to take these couple of months to think about three questions. The first is, does Christ's love compel me to be bold? Do I see God as beautiful and enjoyable? The second question is, will I boldly regard no one from a worldly point of view Will I have Christ's eyes for people, seeing people as they are in the kingdom of darkness and longing for Christ's love to come and invade their lives? And thirdly, am I eager to be Christ's bold ambassador? Do I want to say, yes, Jesus, make your appeal through me to the world around me? I'm really excited for what God has in store for us in 2024. I'm excited for how he will grow us in the year ahead and I'm excited for what he will do around us as the wonderful good news of Jesus reveals his ongoing power and proves yet again 
that when the church looks like it's going to the dogs, it's the dogs that die. But not because we're smarter, because Jesus is greater. And not because we have a superior strategy, but because Jesus, by his death, resurrection and ascension, is supreme over all. And so because of Jesus, St Matt's, I invite us to be bold in 2024, to be bold in Christ. Will we do that? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you became sin for us, that we could have the righteousness of God. And Father, may you continue to work in our hearts, that our hearts will beat day in, day out for those who do not know your love and mercy and grace. Break our hearts for them, we pray. And inspire us, compel us by your love. Compel us by a view that looks through your eyes at people around us. Compel us to be bold ambassadors for you. That we might see your gospel at work. That we might see lives transformed. That we might see people join us in worshipping and glorifying you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.